Our God is such a good God, and I want to welcome everyone to the service today. These are very interesting times, and um, across the world, churches and the brethren are stretched in many ways. And I believe that this is something that God himself has orchestrated so that we can grow, we can move. This time last year, a lot of us were very conventional and uh, doing things the way we knew how to do it for centuries. And um, God, in his own wisdom, knows that it's time for the church to break out, the church to change format and, and step up and cope with the, with the current challenges of the modern day. And this is why we find ourselves having, I mean, I, we're not rejoicing over the COVID situation, but I believe very strongly is one of the reasons why God allowed it, if I can use the word allow, because it has stretched every church, every church on the planet, no matter what their level was before this time. It has stretched us to think outside the box, to see how we do things differently, because we have to reach people differently. And so let us not just look at the bad side of things or the challenging side of things and see that God himself has been faithful in helping us to stretch. So let us understand that some of these teething issues and challenges we have with our technologies today uh, I mean, obviously, we don't take anything for granted. We'll keep doing our best to make sure that we don't have them. But let us, let us not be worried. Let us not be worried because we are being stretched. We are like the baby eagle that, that the mother is, is trying to get to fly. And, and, and uh, the, it takes her to uh, a very high place and drops her. And, you know, she flaps her wings a little and is worried whether, you know, she was going to crash. And we know the rest of the story that suddenly one day the baby ego sees that, yes, now I can fly. So we are being stretched and we should see that in a positive light. And by the grace of God, when we come out of this, uh, not just our church, many churches will be operating at higher levels, making greater impact than ever before in the mighty name of Jesus. So I want to thank you for your patience in walking through these difficult and challenging times with us. And I want to thank the technical team for doing their best to just try and pull everything together. By the grace of God, the Lord will continue to perfect all things here in Jesus' name. Um, we have started a series a couple of weeks ago. This should be the fourth session. And um, this series is themed Prospered for Restful Increase. This is our fourth vision mandate as a church in raising with God and for God a people of purity, power, purpose, and prosperity. And whilst those clearly defined vision objectives are mentioned from time to time, you will see, if you have been a very uh, ardent student following very well, you will notice that we can hardly talk about one without, without the other. When we talk about purity, we double into all the other things because they're all linked. Right now, we're talking about prosperity, as it were, a people of prosperity, as it were. But, you know, we are, we're going to be touching on the other things as well. People of purpose, people of purity, purpose, people of power as well. So this is the word of God because it is the same word. And on this session, we are looking at prospered through godliness and contentment. Prospered through godliness and contentment. Wherever you are, I'd like you to please follow very, very well. We will read a lot of scripture and we'll, I'll make some illustrations that would help us to understand this. We must understand that godliness and contentment are key. Everything we have looked at before now in terms of obedience, diligent labor, and divine creativity are very important as well. They help us to see how we can work with God to prosper supernaturally. And we know when we talk about prosperity, we are talking about spirit, soul, and body. But the reality is that what 
contains and sustains your prosperity and my prosperity is this principle we are talking about today. The ability to maintain godliness. The ability to know how to live in contentment. The two go together. That is why when Paul, as we read in the, the Bible reading earlier on today, when Pastor Moses led us from 1 Timothy chapter 1, uh, chapter 6 from verse 1 to verse 19, uh, Paul was charging Timothy. Timothy was probably the closest of Paul's prodigies. Timothy, apart from Luke, Luke was never somebody that held a position under Paul per se, but Luke went with Paul everywhere. That's why he wrote the book of the Acts of Apostles, and you will notice his account of Apostle Paul was very deep because he was always with Paul when Paul started his missionary journey. But you see, Timothy was a strategic person in the life of Paul. Timothy was the first man that Paul met who had both the uh, Hebrew heritage and the Gentile heritage. And that was very important for Paul because here was Paul trying to reach the Gentiles and he was being re rejected by them. And even his own Jewish people didn't like him because at the time he was persecuting the church. So when Paul eventually got through to, you know, becoming accepted by the church, God brought Timothy his way. And Paul took him, circumcised him, and began to use him mightily because he saw him as somebody who could help him to reach those people that God has sent him to. So Paul was very, very, I'm giving that background because when we read these letters, we should understand the contexts. Paul was very, very careful what he said to Timothy because he didn't want Timothy to miss it. He didn't want Timothy to go off course. He didn't want Timothy to be blown away like many other people he had seen were blown away in their ministries. So he took time to invest in Timothy. This letter we are reading and studying today was one of the very key ones that Paul wrote to Timothy as something he was giving to him as an advice. Many other times Paul would tell him about who to appoint as a bishop, who to appoint as deacons. We have looked at some of those things before. He would tell him about different things, about you know fighting the good warfare of faith and so on. But you see, when Paul got to this part of his writings to Timothy, he was very emphatic to say, look, I want to give you some set of principles that will make you succeed in life and ministry. And that is what I want us to look at today. Godliness and contentment basically refers to having the fear of God and having a sense of appreciation of everything God is doing per time. They go together. You have the fear of God and then you have an understanding that whatever God gives you per time is good, is beautiful. And until you learn to live this way and function this way, you may find yourself as a person struggling to be totally and truly prospered, particularly prospered emotionally, prospered spiritually, even prospered financially. Because it is not about what a person has, like Paul said to Timothy, it's not, as we will soon see again, it's not about what a person has that determines their prosperity. I have seen many, many miserable millionaires. We need to have an understanding of what God is doing per time. In Psalm 1, from verse 1 to verse 3, the Bible says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of uh, sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on it he meditates day and night. Hallelujah. He shall be like a tree 
planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in season, whose leaves also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Amen. Apostle Paul also had charged Timothy. And we must understand this, that he said to him he should ensure that he respects godly authorities, rejects ungodliness, and embraces godliness and contentment. The psalmist said, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. The man who wants to truly have a blessed life does not joke with ungodliness. He rejects ungodliness. We have come to a place where prosperity has been taught to the church to just mean to make it by force. Make it anyhow. As long as you can pay tithes, as long as you can bring something to the church, many churches have become complacent. Regardless of the source and the channel, the Bible says even the man, not not just practicing ungodliness, but the man who is walking in the counsel of the ungodly, the man who is participating in schemes, ponzi schemes and things that scam people, is not blessed. The man who is blessed is the one who refused to walk in such counsel. The one who refused to be underhanded with people. The man who refuses to dupe people. The man who refuses to just do anything by any means to get a promotion. Pull colleagues down and do all the trickery and spoil others so so that they can give you a position. The man who lies against others. The woman who cheats with her body. The man who does all kinds of things and goes to all kinds of places and shrines and stuff to to do evil things just to, to make money and to get positions. Those are ungodly people. If you want to be truly blessed, you must shun those ways. The Bible says you must not stand even in the path of sinners. You must not sit in the seat of those who scorn your God. Verse 2 says, such a person must always understand that his delight is in the law of the Lord. He is contented with what God has commanded. He is contented with everything that God is speaking. He said that person is the blessed one. The one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and is meditating on it day and night. The one who sees it as the be all in all for them. It is very important. He said, when such a person is like that, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of living water or rivers of water. And every time he keeps bringing forth his fruit, he keeps bringing forth his fruit. He keeps prospering in supernatural ways. And then whatever he does, surely shall prosper. Hallelujah. Whatever he does shall prosper. I say, whatever you do shall prosper. Whatever you do shall prosper. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. So Apostle Paul was very concerned about this. David wrote this about 2,000, two and a half years, two and a half thousand years before this, or 3,000 years rather, before that time. But when Apostle Paul came, he charged Timothy, like where we read earlier on. In that first Timothy chapter 6, the first few verses, he talks about as we serve God, as bond servants. He said that we should be people, when he said bond servants, there doesn't mean servant as in what we think of people under slavery, but he's just talking about workers, people who are subject to one authority or the other. He said that we should be word, counting those leaders as worthy of honor because there is a blessing in respect of authority. 
There is a blessing that goes with respect of leadership. There is a kind of prosperity that goes with giving honor to whom honor is due. He said, we should do that so that we don't blaspheme the name of the Lord. And in the verse 2, he said, those that have believing masters, if you are under believing masters as well, you should not despise them. A lot of people today despise believing masters from the workplace, especially much more than in the church. They despise believing leadership because there is a sense of entitlement that we all have in our modern age. We all have access to everything and so we feel we are independent. And you see, if you want your prosperity to be godly and blessed, the Bible says, you who have believing masters, don't despise them because they are brethren, but rather serve them. How many people confidently say that they are serving their leaders today? From church to church, you see headiness. You see people who just want to do things, who, who are disrespectful to the rule of law and the rule of order that is being set up by leadership in the various churches. The Bible says that those people, you, 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 you have to, if you, are, if you are in a place where there is a believing master or a believing leader, he said you must make sure that you are continually serving in that place. We know that very well. That service is not because it's unto man, but it's unto the Lord God Almighty. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He said we should teach and exhort these things. And that is why we're doing that right now. We should teach and exhort these things. We should continue till Jesus comes to tell people to be respectful to leadership and to continue to make sure that they are serving believing masters. Verse 3 says, if anyone teaches anything otherwise and does not consent to all wholesome words, even to the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which accords with godliness. He says, such a person is proud, verse 4, not knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words. And from those things come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions. Verse 5 says, they come with useless wranglings of men, of corrupt minds and destitute of truth. They suppose that godliness is a means of gain. There are people today who attend churches just because they believe that a church can serve their personal needs. And the moment that personal need is not met, they leave. Now don't get me wrong. A church must meet your need of fellowship, of worship. But you see, if your purpose of attending the church is so that you can do business in that church and you are finding that you are doing the business and as long as that business is prospering, that becomes your reason for attending that church, you are somebody who is supposing that your godliness is a means of gain. Now, in the church life, we should help one another and support one another. But the primary reason of our coming together in church is not to prosper one another per se or to advantage one another in business. Far from it. We can do that, but that's not our primary reason. So you see people who move and hop from church to church because they feel that the church is not meeting their personal needs. If, if the church brethren were supplying things to their business and helping their business to uh, prosper, they stay there. They are happy. But the moment it seems as if maybe the church people are no longer interested or they are doing other things, it becomes a problem for them. They leave. It is a very sad tale in these modern times. And we must not be people like that. The Bible says from such people withdraw yourself. Don't copy their ways. Of course, we love everybody. Jesus said we should love him and love everybody. But the truth is that we must not copy such people. You and I belong to every church that God has planted us because we want to serve God there. 
We want to make our giftings and our abilities available, our resources available to propagate the gospel and win souls to the kingdom and disciple them to Jesus Christ. That is our primary purpose. After we are seeking that kingdom purpose, God now makes every other thing of koinonia and fellowship, benefits of fellowship, come to us. I have been a benefactor of many good relationships I've had in church over the years. And by the grace of God, many people through my life have also enjoyed one or two things in their own lives, in promotions and liftings and all that. That's fine. But our primary reason is not to come together to do those things first. We come together to honor the Lord. We come together to serve the Lord. And that is what godliness is. We don't make godliness a means of gain. And so we must understand this very well. People say, you know, I want to belong to a church that, you know, where I go, I can, I can make money and make business and do things like that. It may sound good on the surface, but that's not the reason why we have church. But the reality is that you will prosper in a church when you are refusing the counsel of the ungodly and you are refusing to make godliness a means of gain. God himself, seeing your heart wanting to serve him, will surely prosper you. I say he will surely prosper you in the mighty name of Jesus. So it is important that we continue to look at these things. The Bible says that in verse 6, because godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And that is our theme for today. So we must be a people who have explained a little bit on what godliness is. We'll look at some three things that must be part of godliness and then we will look at how contentment also must be viewed from a couple of perspectives and how the two coming together can help us to enjoy the great gain of God, uh, God's provision. Hallelujah. The Bible says, For we brought nothing into this world, verse 7, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. When we are struggling over the things of this world that we met here and we are fighting over them, we are foolish because we are not realizing that no one is going to take anything out of this world, no matter how much of it you amass before you leave. You can't take anything anywhere. We brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. We came into this world without clothes. Even if we are buried with one, pound, one, one, one million pound worth of gold and a casket that uh, is built of diamonds and everything, that is just a waste of time. <laughs> just a waste of time because none of that, everything in that, that casket is going to, to decay in this earth. In fact, some smart guys go back and dig it up and use it to sell to other people. <laughs> I saw a film or somebody, somebody said it was a true story that a, 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 a woman, a man was buried in a big car, you know, very expensive car. They dug a hole as big as it and they buried the president. <laughs> oh, that is just the wonderful craziness that is going on in our day and age. We brought nothing. So when we're talking prosperity, we must not lose our minds to think it is about something of materialism. Everything in this world, everything that you see today will pass away. Everything you can see, everything. And we must understand that whatever we have, we are not taking away. That perspective helps us to have a good balance of what prosperity, true prosperity is. If we go straight to verse 10, the Bible says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. When people love money, when there is a love of money, you start to bring in a lot of problems. Bring two 
business partners together, everything goes well. The moment the love of money comes into one, just one of them, it becomes a problem. When the love of money comes into a marriage, it becomes a problem. When the love of money comes into a relationship whatsoever, it becomes a problem. The love of money is the root. When the love of money comes into the life of a pastor, it becomes a problem. When it comes into a church, it becomes a problem. Everywhere, the love of money. Because you see, you cannot love God and love mammon. That's what the Bible says. You cannot serve God and serve mammon. And mammon is the spirit behind money in totality. So in the moment there is a love of money, the love of God is gone. You can't do the two together. You may profess you love God, but where there is a, 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 a clear indication that it's about the love of money, then it brings evil. The Bible says it is the root of all kinds of evil. Many people have read that to mean money is the root of evil. No, money is not the root of evil. It is the love of it that empowers the evil nature of it to come out. The love of money is the root of all evil. The Bible says when some people go into it, that verse says they have strayed from their faith in greediness and then they pierce themselves through with many sorrows. Many people do not know that they are living in the love of money today. But when a person is sorrowful and unthankful and just completely all the time, always full of all kinds of, uh, all kinds of disappointments, then such a person is operating by the spirit of the love of money. We must not live like that. So some essential aspects of godliness that we need to bear in mind. Some essential aspects of godliness. I want to just quickly take us through about three things. Number one, for us to be a godly people, we must reject hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is the order of the end time. Many people will profess to be doing something or living a particular kind of a lifestyle, but the truth is that they are living completely opposite. First, Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, I'll read very quickly up to verse 5. It says, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of money. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 to 5. Know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. We don't have enough time. We can look at each of these things and see it happening all around us consistently. The Bible says they will be lovers of themselves, always thinking about themselves alone. Even in a marriage, they never think about their spouse first. They think about themselves. What is the need for me? What about me? How can I be satisfied? How can I enjoy me, me, myself, and I? Always thinking about themselves. They'll be lovers of money like we just talked about. They'll be boasters. There'll be people who go about boasting and, and just being very proud, always very, very proud, always seeing themselves better than other people. They can never stay in the church. They are better than everybody. They can't stay in a team. They, are, they know more than their, the, the leaders. They can never be anywhere, even in a class where they are teaching everybody. They, they, they are proud, even to their teachers. Proud, proud, blasphemers. They blaspheme the name of the Lord. They profess to be Christians. They profess to be people who have the fear of God. But what you see them do is just simply living in blaspheming. They are disobedient to parents. Their parents don't know anything. Their parents are always outdated. Their parents are always senseless to them. It is a spirit of the end time. It is a spirit of the end time. They are unthankful. 
No matter what you do for them, even if you sell yourself and you give it to them like this, they will not appreciate it. You go all out to do everything that you can to be pleasing, to, to, to help them in their time of need. And they will be unthankful, a spirit of the end time. They are unholy. They love the things of sin and the pleasures of this world. They will be unloving, verse 3. The Bible says they will be unloving. They will refuse to love. What does that mean? They will always live in carnality. They lost, but they don't love. They just go for what suits the flesh. If it doesn't suit the flesh, they don't care. They don't do those things that love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is gentle. Love does not keep a record of wrongs. Love is not boastful. It's not arrogant. It's not self-seeking. They don't do all those things, even though they say they love. They say they love their spouses, but they are cheating on them left, right, and center every day, every time. They are unloving. They are unforgiving. Don't, oh, don't cross them. Because anything you do that comes to them, that, that, that touches them, they refuse to show mercy. They are slanderers. They can talk about others and pull them down without even thinking. They have no self-control. They are brutal. Brutal. They are ready to kill anybody just to get anything. And when I say kill, it doesn't mean that they, they physically kill the person. They are ready to spoil anybody's record. They are ready to cheat. They are ready to be dubious. They despise good. Nothing good is ever good for them. They despise good. Even if good is appearing like this, many times they do not know. They are traitors. They go behind your back and say things that can pull you down. They go behind your back and they are vicious to you. And you deal with them with a single face, but they deal with you with double face. They are headstrong. They cannot be corrected. When you try to correct them, they are resistive. They are haughty. They are proud people. They love pleasure rather than God. So when you call for service, the first thing they think about, is it convenient for me? When you call for prayer meeting, is it convenient for me to wake up? When you call for fellowship, is it convenient for me to go? Or do I, would I prefer to be sleeping in my room and being on my bed? They are lovers of pleasures rather than lovers of God. I've taken time to explain everything there because, you see, no human being is free from the subtle attempt of the enemy to introduce any of those things. They are the spirit of the end time, and every one of us must keep raising our guard to make sure that none of it stays in our lives. Nobody has outgrown any of this. You can't say, I, I don't have all of those. No, they will come to you, and they will keep coming to you till Jesus comes. You will keep feeling to be headstrong from time to time. You will keep feeling to be unloving and unholy from time to time. You just want to slap somebody's face and, and get it over with. Just that one minute <laughs> from time to time. You will be feeling like those things. Your body will not want to do those things that seemingly are inconvenient in the service of God from time to time. We say it because you cannot live like that. The Bible says a lot of people are living like that. And they have kept a form of godliness, verse 5. They have a form of godliness, but they are denying its power. Denying its power means that they are consistently not allowing the transformation power of the word of God to work in them and through them. They are denying its power. And the Bible says, from such, turn away. When we say denying its power, most people think about the power of God for salvation, for healing, for those things. That is not what they deny, those people. They acknowledge that, but to be transformed in their own life, they are denying it. That's when you hear them say, if not that I'm a Christian, if not that I'm born again, they are still denying its power. They are still denying its power. Hallelujah. Don't have a form of godliness and deny its power. 
God does not want your money, does not want your talent, does not want your ability of any kind whatsoever if you are going to bring it from a place of strife and envy and haughtiness and pride. If you are going to bring it in a place of what are you singing to God if you are full of pride? You cannot submit to your husband. You cannot love your wife. What are you singing? What are you singing? Which hands are you lifting up to praise God? What are you preaching if you cannot love your own wife? Or you cannot submit to your own husband? Or you cannot bring your children up in the way of the Lord? You have no message. And I have no message. If we cannot stand for the things that should not be denying the power of the gospel, let us understand that our prosperity, no matter if I take, Paul said, if I take my whole body and I burn it up and I give it out and I give arms and I do all those charitable things and I have no love. Love for who first? Love for God. Love the Lord your God with all your strength, with all your might, with all your soul. And then love your neighbor as yourself. He said, if, if I do all those things, there are many people doing a lot of charitable deeds today that people see all over the place and they are praising them. And there's no connection to God because in them is pride and arrogance from such turn away. Paul warned Timothy, say, my son, turn away. Turn away. Don't be a party to such people. They will gain grounds in the end time. More people will live like that in the end time. Don't participate from search. Turn away. Reject hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is a very subtle spirit. I've never seen a hypocrite say, you know, I'm a hypocrite. I've never seen one. Never. But hypocrisy is everywhere. And everyone knows whether they are hypocrites or not. That's the reality. Because they know that what they are doing is not matching. The real life that is hidden, that people don't usually see, doesn't match what people see. It's a simple test. It's a simple test. I know this is meant to be a message on prosperity, and that is why we will prosper in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. We must understand they go together. Any church that teaches prosperity and does not join it with purity and holiness is wasting its time. It might as well go and be teaching motivational things to people to go and do business and make money. They are very different things. To teach business principles to make money and to teach godly principles to prosper are two absolutely different parallels. They can never meet. They can never meet until the church understands that we are the custodian of true prosperity rooted in the word of God, founded by the word of God, founded on the established and established on the principles of scripture for people to prosper spirit, soul, and body. Then the world will continue to sell the fake. And sadly, the church in many cases are buying the fake and putting it on altars today because the fake is very appealing. The fake doesn't place a demand on you to be holy. The fake doesn't place a demand on you to, to, to live godly. The fake doesn't place a demand on you to walk in love and be forgiving and to still be patient. The fake doesn't place a demand. The fake just say, if it feels good, do it. As long as you will make it, do it. We must not allow hypocrisy and hypocritical way of lifestyles to be our portion. Number two, very similar, we must embrace the fear and reverence of God. We must embrace the fear and reverence of God. Second Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. He said, therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Can you see the words perfecting holiness? 
You would expect that holiness means that you are perfect already. No. Holiness means that you have started a journey of perfection and you are working towards it consistently. Not from a legalistic point of view, but from a conscientious, transformational mind point of view. The Bible says in Romans 12, 1, it said, Therefore be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. You are born again, but your mind continuously gets a transformational power, consistently perfecting holiness in the fear of God. He said, if we have all these promises, if you read 2 Corinthians chapter 6, it talks about all the promises of, of, of our faith. And having all those promises whereby God is coming and there will be a blessing of his people and an increase of his people, we must understand that we have those promises, but we must keep cleansing ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh. That is not meaning that you should use a shampoo to wash your hair as the filthiness of the flesh or use some kind of good soap to wash your body. It simply means everything in your, in your flesh that wants to continue to control and have dominion, you must continue to cleanse yourself by the power of the Holy Spirit from them. The Bible says, from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So we must be a people who embrace the fear of God. To be people who are truly prospered, we must be godly. And the second thing that we're talking about here, about being godly, is embracing the fear and reverence of God. The Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom. The fear of God. He said this is the whole duty of man, to fear God and to keep his commandment. Fear God. Just fear God. Fear God doesn't mean that you hear his voice and you go and hide like Adam, unless you have something to hide. Fear God simply means when you hear his voice, you say, Lord, here I am. When he says, that place you want to go tomorrow, don't go there. You say, Lord, thank you for telling me. That's the fear of God. When he says, now leave everything you are doing, go and do that thing for me, you just say, Lord, I thank you. And you go. At times, he doesn't speak to you directly. He can use a brother. He can use your unit leader. He can use your pastor. He can use a colleague. He can use somebody to give you those instructions. As long as it's God, it's godly, the fear of God means you respond. The fear of God simply means that you, you love your wife as a man. You love your wife regardless, as Christ loved the church. It means you submit to your husband in the Lord as is commanded. That's the fear of God. You are not fearing that man or that woman. You are fearing God. <laughs> Joseph said, how can I do these things and sin against God? Did he say, I will do this thing and sin against Potiphar, my master? No. He said, I will sin against God. Many people do not understand that we must perfect holiness in the fear of God, not in the fear of man. If you are giving in a church because you, don't, you want your pastor to see that you are giving, you are wasting your money. They will collect it and use it, but you are wasting your money. If you pay tithe because you, you want your pastor to see that you are paying tithe and so you are paying the tithe, you are wasting your money. The, like I always say, the church will use it. But do you want to truly be blessed? Do you want to truly get the blessing of that God? Do it in the fear of God. Ananias and Sapphira, they took part of the thing and came before men and said, this is everything. No fear of God. The God who sees revealed that that was not everything. So we keep perfecting holiness in the fear of God. When some people hear these kind of messages, they say, oh, we're commanding people to be legalistic, to be working out their salvation. And that, that's far from it. That's another deception of the devil. Reverence to God is not a legalistic duty. It is the most spiritual thing you can do to revere God, 
to live from day to day, always seeking to be pleasing unto the Lord your God. So we must know how to embrace fear and reverence God. Number three, we must focus on Christ's return. This is very important. Believers, many believers today don't even remember. They don't even know. Some don't even know that Jesus is coming back again. <laughs> I, will be, I will not be surprised if we have Christians in this generation. When you meet them, you say, do you know anything about the second coming? They'll say, what? And they have been Christians for five years. <laughs> I will not be surprised at all because why do I know this? The way many people behave and the way they talk, if you hear certain things, you will know whether somebody believes that Jesus is coming again. When somebody says, I can't forgive them forever. Hey, ah, that means you don't know Jesus is coming. If you know he's coming again, you will quickly forgive. Because he's not coming for those who are unforgiving. No, he's not coming for those who refuse to live according to the, 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 the word that he has given to us to live by. The standards that God has given us to uphold. We must focus on Christ's return. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. He said, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which heavens, the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Everything will be burned up. That's your house. That when you stand in front of it, you look and say, wow. It will be burned up one day. <laughs> Not when you are still here. By God's grace, we would have been cut up then. But you know something? It will be burned up. Everything will melt away. Everything will melt away. Because I work a lot in the past 15 years or so, I've been working a lot on refurbishment of projects as part of what I do in consulting. I have seen a lot of old buildings that we got out and remodel and make brand new buildings out of them. But what always comes to my mind when I reach some of those sites that are almost derelict, almost completely abandoned in some cases, looking like nothing nobody wants to touch, and I remind myself that at a point, this was somebody's dream. This was somebody's dream. Maybe somebody even died trying to get this place built. Maybe they worked so hard, I don't know. They even had heart attack. <laughs> And then you just see one builder that did not even, that just doesn't know much other than to rake down those walls and rebuild, just hit the whole thing at once, hit it, hit it, and break it up and go. Everything, both the earth and the works that are in it, both the earth and the factories and the businesses and the things that are in it will be burned up. Don't kill yourself for it. Keep your focus on the Christ that is returning. We don't know the hour, we don't know the time, but it is of a certainty. And wherever you are, you will respond. The Bible says the dead in Christ will rise first, and those who are alive and remain will be caught up in the air when he comes. So there is no way of escape. The seas will give up those that have been swallowed in them. The earth will give up those that have been buried in them. Keep your mind on that day. Then you will find yourself more godly than ever. You will find that there is no need for you to strive with anything. Somebody is denying you a promotion and you are, you are crying over it every day. Is that the end of your life? Nobody can, people can deny you a promotion. They can deny you the things that man can give. But I've said it many times, nobody can stop what only God can give to you. Stay connected to God and watch God do what only he can do. Over what man thought they could not allow you to do. Never tie yourself to the whims and caprices of human beings anymore. Have regard for men 
love men, love people, but always remember that it is from God that promotion comes. It is from God that your blessings will come. When you live like that, waiting for Jesus Christ, your lamp, like the, the, the Matthew 25, uh, five virgins who had their lamps trimmed all the time, their light was always shining. The word of God was what they, you know, the Bible says the word of God is a lamp, is a lamp to my feet. So the word is what they revered every time. They did not allow the Holy Spirit to go out. They kept on having oil that was servicing that lamp. When you live like that, waiting for the return of the bridegroom, you cannot afford to be unholy. You cannot afford to be in envy. You cannot afford to be jealous. You cannot afford those things. The Bible says the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Verse 11. It says, therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Since all those things will be burnt up, why kill yourself over them? He said you should be a person in the conduct of holiness. In your conduct be holy and your godliness. He said looking, verse 12, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Let us be a people who are waiting consistently for Christ's return. He is coming back. We don't talk about much of, of Christ's return because it looks like an event that we have talked about for many years, for more than almost 2,000 years. We've been talking, he's coming back, he's coming back, he's coming back, he's coming back, he's coming back. So many people have felt either it's not going to happen or, you know, it's a waste of time talking about it. No, it's never a waste of time. When you wake up every day with an expect, when you find yourself still in this world, just know that there's the expectation that it could be today. It could be today. If you are truly a believer... So when you go to bed angry and you say, I will not forgive my husband or my wife or my child and I refuse to forgive, it means you are not expecting him. Because if it comes overnight, hallelujah, do not let the sun go down on your heart. It's a very, very powerful admonition. You and I must constantly remember this. I don't know about you, but when I know a loved one is coming, my heart is always... It's coming at a time, and my heart is always looking out for when they're coming. It could be a child that's gone to school, has been away for weeks or months, or, uh, uh, or, or a spouse that's traveled for some time. It's a different feel when you are waiting and waiting. And when you hear that door bell or that taxi or whatever it is, they drive back, you, there's a way you are, you are joyful. Your joy is just coming to the full for that great expectation. That is how we should be with our Lord. Not people who are trying one day, the next day we've given it up. To quickly return to Paul's admonition so that we can talk about our, um, com our contentment, I've just talked about three things on embracing godliness. Number one, we must reject hypocrisy. Number two, we must embrace the fear and reverence of God. And number three, we must continue to focus on Christ's return. Now, if we go back to 1 Timothy chapter 6, where we read earlier, the two verses there in verse 8 and 9, Paul also admonished Timothy. Thank you. He said, and having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. Let us be content. Having food and clothing, let us be content with these. Verse 9 says, but those who desire to be rich fall into a temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful laws, which drown men in destruction and perdition. 
Many people today in the desire to be rich, sadly even believers, because they hear testimonies of somebody saying, praise God, yesterday, uh, last year, I joined this church. And when I joined this church, I prayed, and this happened, and the man of God said, this, go and prosper. And I'm not despising any of those things, but I'm just trying to tell you some of the problems we have caused for ourselves in the body of Christ without wisdom, using foolishness instead of God's wisdom. And then he said, and I just went, and as I said the thing, and God helped me, and now I've bought two houses in London, and everybody will say, hey, praise God. And then you see the man, the man or the woman who's been there for 10 years, who's been saying, Lord, but I've been serving you faithfully. Then suddenly a desire to be rich will come in because of a so-called testimony that they heard. The testimony is to stare their faith. If it was a genuine testimony, it will not bring a desire to be rich. But if it is a devilish testimony that is trying to be a trap, that the pastor and the leaders did not, they are not sensitive enough to know that this is not a testimony that will glorify God and find a way to make sure that that spirit doesn't spread. It brings a spirit that pushes people to desire to be rich and fall into temptations. Because the devil will put baits out for as many. I'm not saying God cannot supernaturally bless people. I, I have enjoyed miracles. I still enjoy miracles. I have seen God move in diverse ways, and I believe in miracles 100%. But some of the miracles we have in the body of miracles, in quote, we have in the body of Christ today are not real miracles. They are fabricated miracles to try to gather crowd. The pastors will coach people to give testimonies. The man, the woman came and said, I've been working hard for the past five years. I've saved some money. I've bought a house. You say, okay, God bless you. But that's not, what, that's not what you will say. When you go, this is how you say the testimony. Say, as it was declared last week. <laughs> God have mercy. And that one too will go. Because she fears the pastor or that's her level or his level of understanding. You will go and repeat the same thing. That's the pastor declared. So the next man is hearing that that declaration is what made it. They did not talk about the years that the person has been working to save money so that they can buy the house. They just come and say, ah, as the pastor declared. So the next time when the pastor declared, that one will say, that is my declaration. And then he goes and desires to be rich. Then before he knows it, he falls into temptation and a snare. And then he starts to fall into many harmful laws. Tries to defraud here, cheat here, get involved with illegitimate business there. Just because he's desiring to be rich. I'm spending time on this point because it has caused many problems everywhere, especially in developing countries where there are no systems, no checks and balances. So you see godly people, people who are in high offices will be taking the things that are committed to them to, to do work for community. Believers and unbelievers. In fact, some believers do it worse than unbelievers. <laughs> They take a whole local government money that is meant to build hospitals and improve the schools there and they use it for themselves because they want to go to church and say a word was declared and then they want to pay a tithe that will make them recognized. And then pastors and leaders give them positions because of the level of the money they are bringing in. God have mercy. They have fallen into many foolish and harmful lusts. This is not a popular Christian message but if we don't preach like this, we will keep doing the wrong things. We must all understand that we should not allow those things. We must refuse covetousness. That's the first thing. Some two things I want to quickly talk about on contentment. 
Refuse covetousness. This is an insatiable craving for wants. You just have this desire to want the next thing, want the next thing. Now, don't forget, God supplies our need, not our wants. Paul said, and my God shall supply all your need, not all your wants, according to his riches in glory. The psalmist said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not what? Want. I shall not want. Want is of the devil. Want shows to God that you don't trust his judgment. You don't believe that he is meeting your need. So covetousness sets in when a man just keeps wanting, wanting. No matter what they are giving, they just want and want. Hebrews 13.5 says, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content, Hebrews 13.5. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Every time you keep wanting and wanting and wanting, it means you are disregarding his presence. How can the almighty God be by your side and your heart is still lusting and panting after people's properties, people's wives, people's jobs, people's children. People, people want everything. They want people's position. Be happy with what you have. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be content with your position. Be content with your church. Be content with your wife. Be content with your husband. Be content with your children. Be content with your town. Be content with your nationality or nationalities if you have many. Be content. Be content. The one who said he will never leave you nor forsake you is looking at you and he sees that what you have now is good enough. Be content. Be content. Covetousness is a terrible spirit of this end time. You see a 25-year-old fresh graduate. He wants to use what a 50-year-old man is using. Be content and grow. Be content. You see people get married two years, three years. They want, now, I'm not saying that God cannot hasten things. I believe in speed. But let it be at God's timing. Married two years, three years, you want to live like people who have been married 20 years. Be content. Be content. Let your conduct be without covetousness. A church is just planted five years, six years, ten years, and they want the pastor to be producing the result of people who have been there 40 years. You want to kill the man? <laughs> if you want to kill him, just go and bring guns and tie him to a stick and, and fire him. Go and listen to those ones that have been there 30 years, 40 years. They didn't grow out of the ground like that. Many of them have suffered. Bishop T.D. Jake said there was a time he could pray. He, he couldn't kneel down before the brethren to pray and face the altar. Because if he knelt down and his shoes were facing the people, they would see the holes under. <laughs> so when he, wants to, when he wants to pray and he's kneeling down the altar, the moment he remembers his shoes, he will turn back. <laughs> Today, somebody will say, well, what is he talking about? Is he doing money? Do you know what he has been through? Do you know when Bishop Oedipo was saying that anybody that will eat egg in this house must go and lay one? Do you know? In 1983, not 1960, his first child was born. He had only 10 Nigerian naira. They said, take church money and do his name in ceremony. The man said, no. Today, when David Oedeko Jr. stands in front of 60, 100,000 people in Faith Tabernacle in Ota, and he says, praise God. They say, oh, this is Pastor Chidre, Pastor Chidre. Do you know? Do you, do you know the history? Now, they are not perfect. Nobody is perfect. I'm not talking about anybody being perfect. 
But you need to learn to be content. And don't just open your mouth anyhow. In this day and age. God said he will never leave you nor forsake you. Papa Kenneth Copeland said there was a time. The, the, the only trouser he had was, was, you know, every time he sits down, he wears off. So the, he would give it to the tailor. The tailor would remove the patch and sew it. So until the two pockets at the back met, then the tailor said, don't bring this. <laughs> the tailor said, don't bring this trouser to me again because there's no space again. <laughs> but how many people know that of his story today? You just hear that he's giving out planes. You say all these men of God, say, men of God, men of God. But all that time he was preaching. He was preaching. Joyce Meyer said she preached and he gave his, uh, David Meyer, her husband, the tapes to go and sell for the people and that nobody bought the tapes. Joyce Meyer, she's still alive. Nobody bought the tapes. One day, David rushed in. He said, ah, somebody came today. Joyce said, wow, somebody bought a tape. He said, no, they returned the one from last week. <laughs> to collect their money back. <laughs> Hallelujah. Be content. But these men and women have just quoted are still alive. Going strong, regardless of their imperfections, doing everything they can, still serving God. But today, they are commanding a level. Be content. Give your children space to grow. Don't compare them with others. Never say to your child, look at your age mate. Never, ever, ever, ever. They have their lane. That is my next point. But before I get there, Luke twelve fifteen says, and he said, this is Jesus now, take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of things which he possesses. That you drive Bentley or you drive Vauxhall. Does it matter? Just be godly. By God's grace, if God help you to drive a Bentley, please drive one, a Cadillac, drive one, drive anything you want to drive. If God puts it in your hand, but don't kill yourself for it. Be content with what you have. Be content. Believers need to be taught about contentment much more and refuse covetousness. The most foolish thing is to be desiring what you can never have. My wife is the most beautiful woman in this planet. And any woman that doesn't like it, that is their business. <laughs> and any man that is angry with me for saying so, he should go and say so about his wife as well. You have your mouth, I have my mouth. <laughs> Put it on your social media. Say, this is the most beautiful woman in the world. We will celebrate her for you. But I will tell you, my own is the most beautiful. <laughs> Just be content. Enjoy yourselves. Enjoy your life. Enjoy your job. Enjoy your position. Enjoy everything. When I'm driving to work, I'm happy. I'm grateful to God. You don't go and be thinking, oh, I should be in that position. I should be in that. I've been denied many positions many times. If you don't know. I've applied for things in my present job. And they didn't give me. And I don't, I just carry on. I'm just content. I'm just content. I'm happy. I'm grateful. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Number two, very quickly, run your own race according to God's timing. I've touched on it a little, but First Corinthians 7, 17. Say, but as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. And so I ordain in all churches. As God has distributed to each one. As the Lord has called each one. So let him walk. Walk your own race. Walk your own lane. Don't look at other people to run your race. You must understand. The Bible says, know you not that we all run in a race? He said, run in such a way 
that you can obtain. Run your race with integrity. Run it with focus. Run it with patience. That thing will grow. I say it will grow. Just give it time. Just give it time. Everything, nothing is permanent. What you are looking at today is just a temporal situation. It is changing and transforming. If you walk with God with patience, God will make it grow. God is helping me to be patient. I didn't used to be a very patient person at all. I used to want things hastily, hastily, many years ago. Then God dealt with me and started showing me patience. To the point now that I can sit in a place for three and a half hours, four hours, and not leave the same place. Before, I couldn't do that. One hour, I would move around. and <laughs> I can be so patient now. Three days ago, I took my car in for service, and uh, they said I could wait for it. That Would I be happy to wait for three hours? Or they could arrange this. I said, no, no, I'll be there. Brought out my tablet, and I've always had their Wi-Fi, so I just carried on walking. And the guy came when he brought a cup of coffee to me. He said, I noticed you've been here since. I said, yeah. I can sit like that in an airport lounge for six hours. Why? Because I know that that six hours is not eternity. It's not eternity. I don't ask you to be booking transit for that long. It's not the best. <laughs> Check the transit time before you fly. It's not the best. I'm telling you, it's not the best. But you know what? I'm no, I know that the plane will come at a point, and then I'll go and fly for another 10 hours. I've done that many times. Just be patient with God. In 1990, I was a very young, fresh graduate. I was just 21 years old. I'd finished youth service in my home country, Nigeria. Everything, every, uh, every graduate does this. And um, I looked for a job. I had a good degree. Most of my age mates were getting into oil companies and getting good jobs. And I would apply and nothing would come. And apply, nothing would come. And then I got a part-time job to teach in the university, in the institution where my father was working at that time. So I took it up. And then I carried his camera, his camera, professional camera, and I set up a studio in one of our, uh, in our, one of our living quarters attached to the house, or detached from the house. We call them the boys' quarters. And I set up a studio there, and I would ask students. After I teach in the class, I was teaching them maths and physics because I'm, I, I had an engineering background. So after I teach in the class, I'll tell them, if you want a, a photo on the campus, just let me know. So many of them, was, and I'll snap them, and I'll take the money. So I met a lady who was doing her youth service. She was, she was at that point, she was just doing her youth service. And uh, I had finished youth service, and I was doing that. And she looked at me. She said, David, are you not a graduate of engineering? I said, yes. She said, why are you doing this? I said, that's what I found to do, and I'm excited. It's okay. She looked at me and said, you are a disgrace to graduates. And she walked away. You have not heard my stories finished. You have only heard very little, <laughs> very little. And she walked away. And I looked at her and I said, you know what? This is what I found to do today and I enjoy it. But I know that this is not the end for me. I managed to muzzle those words, whether she heard it or not. But there is no day today that I remember that statement and I don't feel like telling everybody. Whatever your hand finds to do, just do it diligently with all your might. Just stay truthful to God. The same person that said I was, I was a disgrace to graduate, I've produced more than 1,000 graduates all over the world in different aspects of engineering and construction management today. PhD students, master students, so many. 
I have produced and designed buildings worth almost 200 million pounds with architects and other professionals that are standing all over the world today in 30 years from that time till now. Don't let anybody put you down. Run your race with patience. Where you are today is not the end of it. Many people will look at you and laugh. I know. Many people look, even as we are today now, I know many people are laughing with all the hiccups that we're having with technical things and all that. People will laugh, they don't mind them, they're jumping before their time. <laughs> but you keep your race going. You keep your focus going. Was it not 2017 when I was in Cape Town, those of you that were here, that I FaceTimed you in from, we haven't even started all this then. So when I'm preaching from the moon and all those things in years to come, don't say, ah, Pastor, what is happening? <laughs> When we take those flights that, they, they, that uh, Mr. Branson is planning for people to go and explore the moon. You have heard about it now? Eh? Or oh, you've not heard about it? Uh, one flight, sorry, space trips. Yeah. One flight, 150,000. Well, I'm waiting for it to come down somewhere. <laughs> one day, I will announce before the service. You will just, I'll just say, you'll say, Pastor, where are you? I'm, I'm in the moon. <laughs> I'm in the moon. <laughs> Let us pray. Father, we are grateful. We are grateful. We are going to run this race with patience and we're going to depend on you absolutely. Every spirit of covetousness, every spirit of ungodliness, this word today will, will help us to overcome them all in Jesus' name. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray, release of your grace upon your children. In the mighty name of God.